This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You might assume we're both good at presenting to a live audience because of this podcast. But at the end of the day, when we record, it really feels like we're just talking to one another. Presenting information in person in a formal setting to a large audience is something that still makes us really nervous. To prepare for a live speaking event we're hosting together, we turn to our masterclass subscription to not only refine our presentation skills, but to build our confidence in a different kind of public speaking capacity. Between Robin Roberts, Hillary Clinton, and Kevin Hart's expertise, our confidence skyrocketed. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass helps you actually do it. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master negotiate with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or plan your dream wedding with celebrity event planner Mindy Wise, Masterclass has you covered. There are over 200 classes to pick from with new classes added every month, like our latest aha moments from Robin Roberts' effective and authentic communication class that we watched before our event presentation. She taught us how to establish a genuine connection with the audience from the start. I'll always be a little nervous before presenting, but Masterclass prepared us in a way that dialed my nerves down and gave me tools to ground myself. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. And right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Get 50% off right now at masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Masterclass.com slash shrinkchicks. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of the therapy group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and accessible. So stay tuned because in order to grow yourself, you gotta know yourself. Hey, Jen. Hi, Em. It's me. I'm the problem. <laughs> it's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. I think Taylor Swift fans are going to get mad at me that I just did that wrong. You think so? No, that was it. I think that was it. Was that it? I think that was absolutely it. And I think I've never actually heard that full song. I've just simply only heard the audio. Big because of um, TikTok or something. TikTok. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like this is such a good episode. I actually love doing episodes like this. We've done this one before, am I the toxic one? Yeah. Because like three years ago, we called everyone toxic. Now we just say you're the problem. Um, I like that words change. But let's talk about it again, because sometimes it's you. And sometimes you got to fucking look at yourself. And that doesn't feel great. But sometimes that's what needs a fixing. <laughs> also, you're the only person that you ha- can change, right? You can't change anyone else. You can take control of yourself. And that is it. Yeah. That's um, it. That's it. And so that's why I love doing these episodes because they can be so beneficial if you can take responsibility for some of the things that you might be doing in your own life or in your relationships. And so if you can take responsibility, that means you can make strides towards making changes in your life. So I want to start with this question because I think it'll start the episode off great, which is what are some indications to look inward about the problem being me? Repeated patterns of self-destruction, repeated patterns of relational destruction, big ones, right? 
What happens in my relationships? Do I struggle to maintain relationships? Do I struggle to maintain jobs? Do I receive feedback about myself that I'm defensive towards and have I actually listened to it? It's true. People will talk shit in your life and there's lots of stuff that is noise and you should ignore. But sometimes people have actually important feedback to give us that would be important to hear. And if you're hearing the same types of feedback from different people, right? We talk a lot about how in our relationships that we come to a situation from our own lens, right? So in your romantic relationship, if your partner is coming to a situation from their own lens, maybe they often feel rejected, you're very rejecting. It's easy to have that conversation and say, well, maybe that's something that, that they're bringing to the table. Maybe that's something that's coming up for, with them. But if you're hearing the same feedback by a lot of people in your life, it might be a good time to look in the mirror and say, well, maybe I am cold. Maybe I do shut down. Maybe this does happen when, when we're trying to have a conversation. Maybe I am defensive. Mm-hmm. So I think when you're hearing the same feedback in different relationships, that's a really good indicator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's say you're not getting any feedback. You have an inkling. If you feel like you might be doing something problematic, maybe you should listen to that feeling, right? And like, and I'm saying this as the person who has often been the problematic one in a relationship. Like, I'm not saying this from a judgmental thing. I'm just saying is like, I know this is like a tough pill to swallow and a very important pill to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. It's a hard thing to be able to look at yourself. Yeah. There's no point of it that feels good, right? Like to have someone like mirror to you something that you're doing that is not good. Yeah. I think it's almost like the beginning part of it feels really bad because the acknowledgement that you might be doing something to hurt your relationships can be very humbling and also scary and uh, kind of painful to look at. Once you move through that acknowledgement piece, it can be really empowering to be able to say, oh, well, this is something that I do. You see this a lot in couples therapy, too. You know, when couples come in and they're blaming each other to be able to make the switch of going from, well, they're doing this to, oh, I recognize that I am contributing to the relationship in this way that you you go from a place of being disempowered to empowered in the relationship of that means that I get to change something in order to change the dynamic in the relationship. And it's not just me complaining and wanting the other person to change because we feel so disempowered and out of control in that situation. And I think sometimes we truly don't realize we're doing this. Like a really common setup we'll see in couples therapy is you have two partners come in and somebody is saying like, you know, I feel overwhelmed. I feel like it's imbalanced. I'm doing too much. I'm doing too much. And the other person who tries to do something and then the first partner criticizes them. And so then the other person quickly goes back into their shell and doesn't try to do anything. And that just pisses off partner one even more. And so you start to see these really common patterns of like, okay, you want this person to do this. You have to back off a little bit. And you hear this a lot, especially people that are super fed up. They're like, why? Why should I fucking thank them for doing the dishes? I do that shit all the time. Listen, man, you can do it or you can't. One's going to help your relationship. One isn't. You can still be pissed off and fucking annoyed about it. But Right. Like, do you really have to, like, put your two cents into anything? And I was someone who used to for a very long time. (laughs) And you 
to learn to shut the fuck up sometimes. Like, I think a good example is like, okay, so we're just going to stick with the dishes example. Let's say you do the dishes all the time and you're talking about how you want some help. You want your partner to contribute. They finally contribute. And you say something to the effect of, oh, well, finally you're chipping in. (laughs) The piece that I think is really important to remember is do not condemn a behavior you wish to continue to see in your relationship. Yep. But when you do that in that moment, what that comment was, oh, at least now you're chipping in. It's killing intimacy. Yeah. So what you're doing is this is getting too close. I'm going to have to now be close to this person. Let me shut this shit down. That is how you kill intimacy. Well, it's almost like as much as you might want the dynamic to change, it also might be uncomfortable for you. Because if your partner starts chipping in, that means you also have to relinquish control in your life. Well, see, that's the backlog damage. Yes. Right? It's so hard because you're pissed off all this shit for the past five years. And so you're like, well, I'm really fucking angry. Okay, be angry and give him the goddamn pat on the back. Yes, you can have both. Because also you want to reinforce that behavior, right? If that's what you want to change, do not condemn it when you start to see it happening. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is where you get to start looking at your behavior. and. I think a a big part of this too is that I know I know we're calling this episode like hi I'm the problem but like the system is the problem. Yeah. The relationship is the problem. This world we're in is the fucking problem. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. But like sometimes we are having behavioral shit that's an issue. Right. I want this to be very empowering and that doesn't take away the responsibility of the other person too, but just for you to take responsibility in your part. And that is what can be so empowering in this for you to take on that responsibility. No, it's good. I was going to talk a little bit about like, you know, one of the things that I know that can happen with me and my relationship is it's sometimes it's really hard for me to back off. Right. Like I like don't trust because there was like this backlog damage in history of times when they didn't step up. Like sometimes it's really hard for me to just trust that. And sometimes it it works out exactly as I fear it's going to. And then it's hard for me to not be like, I fucking knew this was going to happen. And here is a way I get disappointed again. Right. Like and you have to remember that like going through that just like doesn't help anything You have to start to think about like what's actually going to move this forward. Is it going to be talking about it? Is it going to be like doing the same thing? Like, how do I actually have movement here? Right. And it sounds like in that situation, it's protective for you to hold on to that. Right. Because if you let your guard down and you say, "Okay, well, now I'm going to I'm going to trust that my partner will do this. And then they don't. It leaves you feeling disappointed. When you are someone who struggles with vulnerability, hope is a dangerous thing. Wow. It just is. It's really scary to have. Yeah. And that's why one of the things that we were also taught about, like, when you do couples therapy is, like, in some ways, like, you have to hold the hope for the couple because they they can't always hold it for themselves. Yeah. Because the trust has been broken down so much in the relationship and it takes time to build it back up. And it doesn't just happen in one moment. It doesn't just happen in two moments. It happens gradually over time, building that trust back up. Anyone else feeling like the mental load of making dinner, the planning, the shopping, the prep, figuring out the timing? (laughs) It's a little heavy to carry, huh? Same. That's why I am so grateful for Hungry Root. The food quality, simple recipes, true tastiness, and delivery right to my door is truly a game changer. 
When getting started, you take a fun, short quiz and Hungry will get to know you, what you like to eat, and more. Then they'll build you a personalized cart with all your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to use. So you can sit back, relax, and offload the many steps of meal planning. Each order is fully customizable so you can take their suggestions or choose anything you want. They've got fresh produce, high-quality meat and seafood, healthy snacks, smoothies, sweets, ready meals, kids' snacks and meals, vitamins, supplements, much more. My favorite item from my latest box was the honey citrus chopped salad, lemon pepper chicken, and the four cheese tortellini. You gotta try it for yourself. Everything from Hungry Root follows a simple standard. It's gotta taste good, be quick to make, and contain whole trusted ingredients. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash ShrinkChicks to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash ShrinkChicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. I am thrilled that the weather is finally warming up here in Philly. I went to switch out my closet the other day from my fall winter wear to my spring summer wear and noticed that I very much needed a refresh. So thank goodness for Quince that allows me to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I refresh my closet with the high-waisted linen shorts that come in multiple colors and patterns, the comfiest cotton tees, and my latest favorite, the smocked mini dress. And don't miss out on the accessories. Quince has the coolest sunglasses and 14 karat gold jewelry to complete any look. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, making me feel even better about my purchases. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash shrinkchicks to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash shrinkchicks. So how do I stop being my own worst enemy, letting my thoughts take over my well-being? If you know that your thoughts are not being helpful, right? Somebody asked, can we touch on cognitive distortions? So let's, I'm going to like loop these two questions in together here. For those of you who don't know what a cognitive distortion is, it comes from CBT. You can Google cognitive distortions. One million examples will come up. Some of the really, really most common ones people talk about is like catastrophizing or minimizing. So like exaggerating the importance um, of your mistakes or imperfections would be like the catastrophizing. Oh, everything's going to be horrible today. Jen's mic wouldn't work. This recording is going to be garbage. Nothing's going to go. That's catastrophizing, right? Or minimizing could be, oh man, Jen's feeling sort of stressed because her mic wasn't working today. I could just be like, it's really not a big deal. Get over it, Jen. Minimizing. Uh, Jumping to conclusions. Jen, I'm just using the example of your mic, just so you know. (laughs) Jumping to conclusions. That's not triggering at all. (laughs) (laughs) Jumping to conclusions would be like quick to interpret like events or ideas, right? So like um, Jen's going to be miserable this whole thing because her mic didn't work today. I start overreacting. I try to make up for it, right? All or nothing thinking. Yep. That's another good one. My mic never works. 
my, <laughs> yes. If my mic doesn't work today, everything will be horrible. Yes. We'll, have to, we'll have to redo all of this, right? Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, a mental filter selecting like a single negative detail. Oof. Right. So like we had this great day, but we had like a little bit of this mic issue. And so we're only <laughs> going to focus on that. <laughs> that it's all about the mic is so funny. This is what I got to work with today, okay? That's all I have. (laughs) Mind reading, right? So I can be sitting here being really anxious, thinking, oh gosh, Jen had these issues with her mic, so she must be really having a hard time, so I have to overreact and over-exaggerate everything, and I have to work extra hard, right? That's mind reading. I don't actually even know she gives a shit about the mic. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a good example. I was so stressed Um, out before this. I'm feeling stressed out, right? I'm feeling much better now. So you don't have to do mind reading. Okay, good. Let's see some other ones like uh, labeling something, right? This was a horrible, (laughs) (laughs) a horrible day. Um, (laughs) Jen is is horrible at doing her mic because of this one issue. That would be labeling. So these are all examples of cognitive distortions. These are very helpful. Something really, um, I really love David Burns' Feeling Good Handbook. He has a really great CBT log. If you're someone who finds connected this interested, David Burns' Feeling Good Handbook is a really great resource for that. You can sit there. You It gives you, right, like column one is here's the action that's happening. Column two, here's the cognitive distortion. Columns three, like what could maybe not be accurate about that? And column four is like, okay, like what would be the healthier thinking style around it? So any of those things could be helpful to do. So noticing your cognitive distortions and then being able to challenge them in real life, right? So we can use the mic example. I'm saying, oh, my mic never works. Actually, I can look back at many times in which my mic was working, you know? <laughs> we have recorded proof. We have recorded proof, you know? So you take all of the, all of your cognitive distortions and you start to challenge them in real time. You might not even know how many cognitive distortions come up in your mind over and over and over again over time. So I think the first step is really recognizing how often they are coming up for you. Point of the thought log is to be able to write them down so you can recognize them and then start to challenge them. The more that you do that, the quicker you're going to be able to do it when it's happening in real time, just to notice when those cognitive distortions come up. Because what happens is when we have those cognitive distortions, then our behavior comes from how we're viewing the world, right? So if I were to say, my mic never works, I'm a piece of shit, I don't know how to get this together. (laughs) My behavior, I might react accordingly, right? My reaction to this recording may come out in a way where it affects how I'm speaking about things, how I'm speaking about myself, how I feel about myself. And so to be able to catch it early and to be able to say, actually, how do I challenge this? Is this actually true? Is it true that I don't know what I'm doing or my mic is always screwed up or I you know, don't know how to set up audio? Maybe, but not all the time. And so just being able to challenge those for yourself are really, really important in order to change the way in which you function in the world. Mm -hmm. I want to answer this next one. Is cutting off people a bad thing? I do it a lot when I don't want to deal with someone. In that way, yes. (laughs) Yeah. It just is. You are avoiding shit. You're having bad relational interactions. You're creating a pattern. Is cutting people off a bad thing? It's not really like that. Like it's always like it's not like it's like always a good or always a bad. There's a lot of situations where someone is like really unsafe to be around or very unhealthy for you to be around that like cut off is like a really healthy and appropriate thing to have continuous cut off in your life as a pattern of behavior. And something that could be really helpful to look into, because I think that we're talking less about cutoff and more about emotional avoidance. Yes. 
<laughs> and that I think is a big piece of it, right? First of all, the fact that you have insight into the fact that it's because you just don't want to deal with someone is the perfect yeah. um, segue into this idea that it is about a- avoiding this emotionally. We had we just recorded an episode on having hard conversations. Having hard conversations is hard. The ability to confront things, talk about things, it's it's difficult and it takes time. It's a challenge. But if the way in which you handle painful conversations is to completely avoid them, you are going to end up isolating yourself completely. Or your relationships, the relationships that you do keep in your life will just be very surface level. And so I'm wondering how lonely you feel in your relationships, Mm. how disconnected you might feel in your relationships, if they feel authentic and meaningful to you. Because once those relationships get deeper and get hard or get a little bit more uh, vulnerable, it sounds like there's this propensity to push them away. And so I would also look at how often did that happen in your family growing up? How prevalent was cut off, right? Did you have a fight in your family and then everyone just ignored each other for days? Did you see that with your parents? Did you see that um, with significant caregivers in your life? So I would encourage you to look at how, how long has that been happening? How long have you been seeing that happen? And to know that it's pretty much just, you just have to almost learn a new language, right? Mm-hmm. That like right now your language is something uncomfortable happened. And so I don't want to deal with this and I'm going to cut them off. It's just learning a new language. How do I turn towards the person instead of turn away from the person in order to be able to heal this relationship? The fact of the matter is you are going to feel so much more connected and your your relationships are going to get so much deeper if you allow yourselves to do that. Yep. Here's an interesting one. Why can it be so hard to keep promises to myself, like update my resume or take a morning walk? It's interesting you say promises to yourself, right? Like, those are shit. I mean, that's shit you have to do. Like, those aren't fucking promises. That shit sucks. Like, updating your resume, like, there's no joy in that. <laughs> Unless you're doing it right? on Canva. That's, we've gotten some, a, yeah, we've gotten some great we have resumes. Gotten some, oh, my and, gosh. Uh, yeah, right. Holy shit. Canva <laughs> resumes. It's really, it's next level. Interviewing people five years ago for now is crazy. <laughs> Very different. Um, so I guess one of the things you're saying is like, right, like, how do I hold myself accountable is like sort of what I hear you saying. And the thing is about accountability is like, it's actually not about motivation. It's about routine. It just like I will never be motivated to do my resume. I just will not. Maybe if you really like it or if you have fun on Canva or something and you like mixing it around. But like, you know, there's also why like sometimes like, it's like, good to have an accountability buddy. Hey, we're going to both get on Zoom at the same time and we're going to be on mute. And we're not going to talk to each other, but we're both going to update our resumes at the same time. Right. Like, but I think it's hard to keep promise to yourself because it sounds like you have unre- possibly unrealistic expectations about the relationship with yourself. Your relationship with yourself is to be your the love of your life. Yes. That's it so is. Nice. It's to meet with generosity and love and kindness and growth and hard facts. You know, and that's what you promise to yourself. The, you know, I got to take a walk at a resume. That shit on a to-do list. That's routine. And I think part of being the love of your life is holding yourself accountable too, yeah. right? Like in a partnership, like it's important to hold your partner accountable, right? If they're the love of your life, you hold them accountable. You say, hey, you were going to do this and didn't follow through with it. And it was really important to me. And so just in the same way, how can you be the own love of your life, hold yourself accountable for things? Because honestly, doing a lot of those things sucks. Like it's not easy. And I think 
We can also make the connection between this and the emotional cutoff question that we were talking about is that sometimes when we feel anxiety about something or anxiety about a relationship, it's so much easier to avoid it. It's so much easier to put your head in the sand and say, I don't want to do this. I'm going to keep pushing this off. So often people procrastinate because of the anxiety around doing things. What happens is when you avoid it, the anxiety doesn't go away. It just gets bigger and bigger. Take it from someone who does this. (laughs) I am speaking from personal experience that holding yourself accountable to doing some of these things, creating time and space for you to do some of these things is only going to help alleviate some of that anxiety. And the fact of the matter is it is not easy, but it's so important to do that in the same way you say to yourself, I'm going to take care of myself and take a bubble bath, or I'm going to take care of myself and watch this show. This is self-care that sucks, but will alleviate that anxiety because it's no longer very deep in your mind haunting you. So you might have to say to yourself that every day from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., you put a timer on and that's when you get done is whatever you can get done at that time. I would say the resume, take the morning walk. The reality is, is like making a commitment and a relationship to yourself is really important, but it also doesn't really affect anyone. So it's pretty hard to do unless you focus on the outcome. How good am I going to feel after the resume? How good am I going to feel after the walk? How good am I going to feel when I actually do my taxes? That's a note to yourself, Emily. Um, <laughs> right? Like it's it's the thing is like the dread. Like nobody, I've never, Jen knows I've like currently like work out like very, very consistently. But at no point have I ever been thrilled to go. Every time I want to not go, every time I'm like, I'll just skip today. And it always feels great afterwards. But like I, I don't have the part where I'm like, Fuck yeah, let's do this shit. He's like, I don't, it's never happening for me. Also, the idea of something, in my experience, is always worse than actually doing it. Yes. The idea of going to work out, yeah, same. I mean, I fucking hate working out, but I know I feel so much better after I do it. We talk about this all the time. But the idea of it is always way heavier than actually doing it. The idea of um, doing my resume is way harder than actually doing I know I don't I don't have a resume. We're just laughing because we've haven't had a resume in 12 years. But I really want to make one on Canva for fun. <laughs> just make it a joint one passion, for both of us. Passion project. <laughs> we okay, can I can I tell everyone the story of something that happened yes. earlier this week? Yes. Do you know what story I'm gonna tell? No, I'm scared. <laughs> so we were on someone else's podcast this week. Jen was not in her best <laughs> mental state. <laughs> Can I please tell the story? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so like there was like, first of all, every issue that could have gone wrong. This other person had mic issues. It ended up getting delayed. Jen was already like really having a hard time. Um, I'm like kind of laughing because this is so funny. <laughs> and so we get on this recording and this is like a big podcast, right? Like we meet this like famous people and like, for like we're so human and sometimes they're kind of not. So we get on this huge podcast and Jen, Sam has introduced herself. I do my bio and Jen goes, yeah, my name is Jennifer Jake and I just have the same bio as her. You can just write me down for the same thing. That's it. She basically was just like, yeah, fucking ditto. I, I feel like she had, you had nothing to give. I was like, listen, that seasonal depression <laughs> smacks you in the face. And once it does, Emily texted me the next day and she was like, I am laughing to myself about the fact that you <laughs> just said 
ditto. <laughs> Oh, you wouldn't. You couldn't even. I couldn't. I couldn't muster it up. So I apologize. And sometimes you can't. But it was just so fucking funny the way it happens. So sorry. They're not all winners, you know. You try your best in this life. <laughs> Listen, we just gotta be authentic. We're you not at a hundred percent all the time. We're doing our no. best. <laughs> so hilarious. <laughs> Did you know that billions of plastic hand soap and cleaning bottles end up in landfills every year? I used to contribute to that waste, constantly buying single-use plastic cleaning products without giving it much thought. But then I discovered Blue Land, and it has been a game changer. Blue Land has helped me eliminate the need for single-use plastic and the products I reach for the most. They are reinventing cleaning essentials. Their approach is simple yet revolutionary. Refillable cleaning products with a sleek design that not only looks great on your counter, but also reduces plastic waste significantly. What I love most is the convenience. With Blueland, I never worry about running out of cleaning supplies or lugging bulky bottles from the store. From hand soap to toilet bowl cleaner to laundry tablets that each smell incredible, all Blueland products are made with clean ingredients you can feel good about. I was blown away when I received my first Blueland order. I immediately filled the bottles with water and their tablets, which was so easy to try everything out. And the ingredients are clean, the scents are refreshing, and the packaging is just so cute. Blueland is trusted in over 1 million homes, including mine. If you're you're ready to make a positive change for the planet without sacrificing cleanliness or convenience, Blueland has you covered. Blueland has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash shrinkchicks. You won't want to miss this. Blueland.com slash shrinkchicks for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash shrinkchicks to get 15% off. A really fun fact about me that you might not know is that if I let my hair dry natural, it is a frizzball mess, which is one of the many reasons I absolutely love pros. I truly never thought that I would be able to embrace my natural hair texture. Ever since I switched to a custom hair routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Less frizzy hair, yes, but beyond that too. My hair is shinier, healthier, and so much more manageable. Filming the podcast every week makes checking out my hair unavoidable, and I felt so much more confident on camera thanks to pros. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do. The custom shampoo and conditioner combo, plus the hydrating leave-in conditioner and hair oil, keeps the frizz at bay. It also makes for the smoothest blowout. People keep asking me if I got my hair cut or went to the salon, which is, of course, the highest compliment. Pros isn't just better for you, it's better for the planet. They're certified B Corp cruelty-free and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. I used this feature when I moved to my temporary house in New Jersey, back to my house house post-construction project in Pennsylvania. Environmental factors like water source is something that Pros takes into consideration with their customization. So it was very cool that I had the ability to update my location. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin, and they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. So you get a free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash shrinkchicks. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash shrinkchicks. Let's move on to this one because this one is amazing. I have a hard time accepting boundaries and I always feel like they're personal to me. Thoughts. Mm. So there is a chance that you struggle to accept boundaries because you also struggle to implement boundaries in your life. 
Are you comfortable implementing boundaries and also not letting other people walk all over you or overuse you or, uh, you know, burn you out? Because then when other people do it to you, it feels fucked up and mean because you don't do it. So I wonder if you have struggle accepting, you typically have struggle implementing. Also, my question would be, what do what do setting boundaries mean to you? Like if someone sets a boundary with you, you said you take it personally. What about it are you taking personally? Does it feel like a rejection? Does it feel like an abandonment? What about it feels very personal to you? Because my guess would be is that is also feeding into why it's difficult for you to set boundaries with other people, right? Mm-hmm. If I set this boundary, it means I'm it's personal to them and I'm rejecting them or I'm abandoning them, right? Where did that start for you? Where were you told that? Where is that wound for you? Because that's something that you can look at and say, how do I heal that? Because boundaries are not personal to you. When you set boundaries, they're for you. When other people set boundaries, they're for them. It is not about you and who you are. It is about taking care of yourself. Okay, so let's take another uncomfortable approach. Yeah. Let's say you notice that this person implements um, a certain boundary with you, but she does it with another one of your friends. There's a possibility that there is something about you that does bring up something for them. Once again, it still doesn't mean that it's about you, but there is a possibility that somebody sets a boundary with you that they do it with other people. And I've heard this before, right? Like, oh, well, she tells me she can't ever hang out with me on Sunday. She needs it for rest, but I've seen her on Instagram hang out with so-and-so on Sundays. That does hurt. You're allowed for that to hurt. It just is, right? Like, and still someone's allowed to set whatever boundaries they do at the same way you are. And you're also allowed to say, you want to know what? This relationship really doesn't make me actually feel good. And I don't actually feel like they treat me fairly in this. I don't feel like they properly communicate to me. Like, so this doesn't work. You're also allowed to do that. But there's times where like it might be that they, you notice something that's just with you and that never feels good. And it doesn't mean you need to change something about yourself. I think that that's an, uh, you know, often something that we feel is that if this person maybe, you know, like maybe my energy doesn't match like what this person needs. Maybe they need a different type of energy. That doesn't mean you need to change who you are. It's just that sometimes you click with people and not click with other people. Sometimes there's certain days where you're going to want to be with certain people. Other days you don't want to be with those people. It, it really is circumstantial. And I think that when we try to change ourselves to fit everyone else's, to try not be abandoned or rejected by everyone else, then we change, completely change who we are. Are, are you up to date with, with Shrinking? If you haven't watched Shrinking, you have to watch the I show. Didn't, so I, didn't, to... I didn't watch last night's. Okay, that's okay. Yeah, so yeah. Um, an episode ago, there's a really good interaction um, between Jason Siegel and his friend that he cut off after his yeah. wife died. And he says... Yes. He was like, well, why did you stop talking to me? I was there for you. I tried to be there for you. And so I guess the friend is a catchphrase. It's like everything works out for me or some shit. And he says he was like, he was like, my wife died. Of course, I don't want to be around someone saying everything works out for them. And his friend's like, well, I didn't say everything works out for you. Right. <laughs> but it was like this really interesting and honest interaction of like, yeah, like in my darkest, deepest moment, like I actually couldn't be around you. Yeah. You were actually too positive for me when I was not there. And it doesn't mean his friend did absolutely anything wrong. It just wasn't something he could handle at that time. And I thought it was like a really good example and interaction. I completely agree with you. And it it made me think of, you know, we talk about this a lot. Like if someone is going through infertility, right, and they're 
uh, close with someone who just had a baby, that it might be harder to have those conversations or to be close with that person in that moment because of circumstances Um, and that that's okay. And so I think that just being able to recognize that other people are allowed to set boundaries, that it's important to set boundaries in order to take care of yourself, it isn't personal to you. And it doesn't mean you have to change in some way. Okay, here's an important one I want to touch on. The other thing that we should like always say, which is like there should just be a disclaimer in every episode, like this, we're not talking about fucking abusive situations. Ever. And let's get in. Yes, ever, ever. Let's get into this. How to take accountability for your role in a problem versus being gaslit into thinking you're the problem. So if you can get away from, let's say you you're with a partner, a friend, whatever, some human in your life. And you have a big blow up and everyone's activated and you take some time in the time down from activation. You just say to yourself, OK, what just happened here? What you know what I mean? To like, like think through like what was going on? What was my part in this? What was the other part? And if somebody is continuously putting up defenses or anti-relational activity, being defensive, blaming, name calling, any of those things, that is when you're going to get into a pattern of gaslighting. I think in an overall sense, too, like, how is this re- relationship making you feel? You know, I think that gaslighting when is... You say, like that, you don't be just good at bad, right? It sounds like you're saying, like, anxious and yes, stable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how do you feel right? about yourself in, within the context of the relationship? Gaslighting is something that's done, like, very intentionally and manipulatively. And, you know, because I think that the term guess gaslighting is thrown around, but I think that it's something that's very intentional and something that is manipulative in a relationship and spans to all different aspects of the relationship too. So if in the context of the relationship, like you're very anxious, your self-esteem is shot, right? You no longer feel maybe you're isolated from friends. If you notice that this is a larger, something kind of like a small piece in a kind of a larger picture, then I think that that's something to look at. Yeah. All right, dear Em and Jen. Let's do it. Dear Em and Jen, I've had a relationship with a therapist in the past, but ultimately my mental health was in a much better place than it is currently. That relationship was eventually mutually terminated due to being a workplace provided. I transitioned from that job to another. Great. Since then, I've been nervous about getting a new therapist. Fear of losing that relationship with a therapist again. At the time, I didn't mind ending it, but now that I'm having new anxiety and depression, I definitely want to find a therapist I can stay with long term. My long winded question is Is it best practice to have an eventual end goal to seeing a therapist? I'm at a point in my life now that I feel honestly continuing to see a therapist regularly, perhaps weekly initially, and then maybe twice monthly would be a good practice for me indefinitely. I'm not sure if this is my mentality now just due to the circumstantial anxiety and depression, but I feel like it would make sense to continue a therapeutic relationship regularly, just like I would have anything else. For example, making it a part of my overall routine for something like yoga, go to the gym, etc. The reason for my question is because I found a therapist and we did a 15-minute phone interview, and I got the impression that she shoots for an eventual goal. I just feel like I'm looking for something more long-term. So... Let's start with the question that they asked is, is it best practice to have an eventual end goal to seeing a therapist? What's your thoughts on that? This is controversial in our field. I think, yeah, I think it depends on this this situation. It depends on the therapist and it depends on what you're coming in for. I think that sometimes people tend to come to therapy with a goal, right? For you as the client, you might come into therapy with a goal. 
what matters is that you're matching with a therapist who is aligned with that, right? So if you're saying to us, which it sounds like you are, you want to go to therapy and you just want it to be part of your routine, that you are talking to a therapist who wants to do solution-focused, here's this end goal, we're tackling something. Going to be honest, they might not be the right fit for you. It might be important for you to find a therapist that is open to doing long-term for this to be part of your routine and to continue to do that therapy together. There are some therapists who are more focused on solution-focused work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you can just ask that in that when you do those free 15-minute consults to say like, are you someone who focuses on an angle? I am looking for long-term therapy and really having a relationship. A lot of it has to do with the training, the type of um, theory the therapist practices, how they do their work, how they do their schedule, right? Like if they're going through insurance, if they have the people that takes it, if it's, you know, a workplace or EAP situation where you're only paying for a certain amount, there's like a whole bunch of different factors. And so I think being very honest in that 15-minute phone call, here is exactly what I'm looking for. Do you provide this option? Because it's not that it's about a best practice or not. It's about finding the best fit or not. Yeah. There is no ethical issue or, or dilemma. Everyone's just different in how they practice. So Jen, let me ask you, what was the longest relationship you had with someone for seeing clients? So it was until I think like, yeah, I think it was seven years. That was, that was the longest yeah. client that you had, yeah. right? So like I feel lots of people go seven, 10 years, like seeing their therapist. It's a really normal part of everything. Um, but some people only do seven sessions. Right. And so that's just really important information to know beforehand because if you're looking for a long-term relationship and you end up with a solution-focused brief therapist, you're going to be real confused when session four comes around and they're terminating you. And I think I think it, you can also process through the ending of the relationship with your last therapist with your new therapist. Yes. Because that is very real to be ending therapy. And it can be really hard, especially if you had a strong relationship with your therapist. There's a grief that might come with that. And so you can process through that with a new therapist. Mm -hmm. And it is important to sift through whether they're open to doing long-term therapy. What's their view on integrating therapy as just part of their routine where they're seeing a th you're seeing a therapist indefinitely. And if they have the same view as you, like, yeah, I think that's a really important part of your self-care routine. And I very much work with clients and I see them maybe once a month, every other week, just for maintenance. You know, we can work on something that, you know, has a solution or we can just, you know, pop in and talk about what's going on for you. So Look for someone who very much aligns on that goal. I think that that's yeah. really, really important. But first of all, can we just say what? You also said something really important, which is like, maybe this will change. Yeah. And that's possibly true. Yeah. It might be that you start doing it, you feel super stable, and you're like, oh, I actually don't want this part of my like, typical routine. And that is fine, too. There is no such idea about the perfect way to do this, just the right way for you. I also, I just want to highlight, too, that you might match with the perfect therapist the thing that might happen that you cannot prevent is that therapist life circumstances might also change. Like, for example, let's say your therapist uh, starts having kids, right? And their schedule changes, right? And they can no longer do evening appointments and you can only do evening appointments. It might be the case that that relationship that you built with that therapist also has to come to an end. 
So that's something I also want to highlight is that as much as you might be looking for someone who has this, uh, can align on that for you, you can't prevent or predict the fact that your therapist's life circumstances might also change. But what matters is if that is to happen, you can also find a new therapist where you can process that grief again. Yeah. Another thing I was thinking as you brought this up that I remembered is that another thing to say is if your therapist works at like a group practice or an agency or something, find out if you're allowed to stay with them when you leave because there are certain group practices that have these insane contracts that essentially say they own the client and not like the therapist. So like in our practice, right, like if any of our clinicians leave and go start their own thing, they get to take everyone with them. Those are their clients. That's their relationship. But there are certain practices that don't do this and clients are not aware of that. So they'll be working with someone for a few years. That person decides to go start their own thing and they have um, a non-solicitation clause. So, like, you can ask questions like that because, like, those are important questions to know that you don't get, like, sort of, like, stunned with it. The rest, there's always ways to find the therapist, just so you know. But, um, <laughs> but like, the, like these are just, like, sort of things to, like, think about that, like, people wouldn't know in the field. And that's it for today's episode. <laughs> hey, were we the problem? Were you the problem? Who the hell knows? Let's just keep moving in this funky world. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask you to rate, review, subscribe, follow an Apple podcast. You can follow us um, at Shrink Chicks, but we would also love to connect you with an amazing clinician. Or if you're an amazing clinician and you live in any of these states and you're licensed there, we'd love to also interview you. Hey, if you live in Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Florida, or California, and you're looking for a new therapist, We'd love to hook you up. Hey, thanks for listening to Shrink Chicks. We got new merch. Go wear a sweatsuit. We're doing cool shit these days. We can't wait to see you next week. And as always, that if you want to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. We'll see you soon. 